0: Section 34 of The Fable of the Bees by Bernard Mandeville. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Horatio, you do not vie, I see, with Lord Shaftesbury, for loftiness of subjects. Cleomenes, when in a starry night with amazement we behold the glory of the firmament, nothing is more obvious than that the whole, the beautiful all, must be the workmanship of one great architect of power and wisdom stupendous, and it is evident that everything in the universe is a constituent part of one entire fabric. Horatio, would you make a jest of this too? Cleomenes, far from it. They are awful truths, of which I am as much convinced as I am of my own existence. But I was going to name the consequences which Lord Shaftesbury draws from them in order to demonstrate to you that I am a convert and a very punctual observer of his lordship's instructions, and that, in my judgment on the poor woman's conduct, there is nothing that is not entirely agreeable to the generous way of thinking set forth and recommended in the characteristics. Horatio, is it possible a man should read such a book and make no better use of it? I desire you would name the consequences you speak of. Cleomenes, as that infinity of luminous bodies, however different in magnitude, velocity, and the figures they describe in their courses, concur all of them to make up the universe. So this little spot we inhabit is likewise a compound of air, water, fire, minerals, vegetables, and living creatures, which, though vastly differing from one another in their nature, do altogether make up the body of this terraqueous globe. Horatio, this is very right, and in the same manner as our whole species is composed of many nations of different religions, forms of government, interests, and manners that divide and share the earth between them, So the civil society in every nation consists in great multitudes of both sexes that, widely differing from each other in age, constitution, strength, temper, wisdom, and possessions, all help to make up one body politic. Cleomenes, the same exactly which I would have said. Now, pray, sir, is not the great end of men's forming themselves into such societies mutual happiness? I mean, do not all individual persons, from being thus combined... Propose to themselves a more comfortable condition of life than human creatures, if they were to live like other wild animals, without tie or dependence, could enjoy in a free and savage state. Horatio, this certainly is not only the end, but the end which is everywhere attained to by government and society, in some degree or another. Cleomenes, hence it must follow that it is always wrong for men to pursue gain or pleasure by means that are visibly detrimental to the civil society, and that creatures who can do this must be narrow-souled, short-sighted, selfish people, whereas wise men never look upon themselves as individual persons without considering the whole, of which they are but trifling parts in respect to bulk, and are incapable of receiving any satisfaction from things that interfere with the public welfare. This being undeniably true, ought not all private advantage to give way to this general interest, and ought it not to be everyone's endeavor, to increase this common stock of happiness, and, in order to do it, do what he can to render himself a serviceable and useful member of that whole body which he belongs to. Horatio, what of all this? Cleomenes, has not my poor woman, in what I have related of her, acted in conformity to this social system? Horatio, can any one in his senses imagine that an indigent, thoughtless wretch, without sense or education, should ever act from such generous principles? Cleomenes, poor, I told you, the woman was, and I will not insist upon her education, but as for her being thoughtless and void of sense, you will give me leave to say that it is an aspersion for which you have no manner of foundation and from the account I have given of her nothing can be gathered but that she was a considerate, virtuous, wise woman in poverty. Horatio, I suppose you would persuade me that you are in earnest. Cleomenes, I am much more so than you imagine, and say once more that, in the example I have given, I have trod exactly in my lord Shaftesbury's steps, and closely followed the social system. If I have committed any error, show it to me." Horatio, did that author ever meddle with anything so low and pitiful? Cleomenes, there can be nothing mean in noble actions, whoever the persons that are to perform them. But if the vulgar are to be all excluded from the social virtues, what rule or instruction shall the laboring poor, which are by far the greatest part of the nation, have left them to walk by, when the characteristics have made a jest of all revealed religion, especially the Christian? But if you despise the poor and illiterate, I can, in the same method, judge of men in higher stations. Let the enemies of the social system behold the venerable counsellor, now grown eminent for his wealth, that at his great age continues sweltering at the bar to plead the doubtful cause, and, regardless of his dinner, shorten his own life in endeavouring to secure the possessions of others. How conspicuous is the benevolence of the physician to his kind! who, from morning till night, visiting the sick, keeps several sets of horses to be more serviceable to many, and still grudges himself the time for the necessary functions of life. In the same manner, the indefatigable clergyman, who, with his ministry, supplies a very large parish already, solicits with zeal to be as useful and beneficent to another, though fifty of his order, yet unemployed, offer their service for the same purpose." Horatio, I perceive your drift. From the strained panegyrics you labor at, you would form arguments ad absurdum. The banter is ingenious enough, and at proper times might serve to raise a laugh. But then you must own likewise that those studied encomiums will not bear to be seriously examined into, when we consider that the great business as well as perpetual solicitude of the poor are to supply their immediate wants and keep themselves from starving, and that their children are a burden to them, which they groan under, and desire to be delivered from by all possible means, that are not clashing with the low involuntary affection which nature forces them to have for their offspring. When I say we consider this, the virtues of your industrious make no great figure, the public spirit likewise, and the generous principles your sagacity has found out in the three faculties, to which men are brought up for a livelihood, seem to be very far-fetched. Fame, wealth, and greatness, Every age can witness, but whatever labor or fatigue they submit to, the motives of their actions are as conspicuous as their calling themselves. Cleomenes, are they not beneficial to mankind and of use to the public? Horatio, I do not deny that. We often receive inestimable benefits from them, and the good ones in either profession are not only useful, but very necessary to the society. But though there are several that sacrifice their whole lives, and all the comfort of them to their business, there is not one of them that would take a quarter of the pains he is now at, if, without taking any, he could acquire the same money, reputation, and other advantages that may accrue to him from the esteem or gratitude of those whom he has been serviceable to. And I do not believe there is an eminent man among them that would not own this if the question was put to him. Therefore, when ambition and the love of money are avowed principles men act from, It is very silly to ascribe virtues to them, which they themselves pretend to lay no manner of claim to. But your encomium upon the parson is the merriest jest of all. I have heard many excuses made, and some of them very frivolous, for the covetousness of priests. But what you have picked out in their praise is more extraordinary than anything I ever met with. And the most partial advocate and admirer of the clergy never yet discovered before yourself a great virtue in their hunting after pluralities, when they were well provided for themselves, and many others for want of employ were ready to starve. Cleomenes, but if there be any reality in the social system, it would be better for the public if men in all professions were to act from those generous principles, and you will allow that the society would be the gainers if the generality in the three faculties would mind others more, and themselves less than they do now. Horatio, I do not know that, and considering what slavery some lawyers as well as physicians undergo, I much question whether it would be possible for them to exert themselves in the same manner, though they would, if the constant baits and refreshments of large fees did not help to support human nature by continually stimulating this darling passion. Cleomenes, Indeed, Horatio, this is a stronger argument against the social system, and more injurious to it than anything that has been said by the author whom you have exclaimed against with so much bitterness. Horatio, I deny that. I do not conclude from the selfishness in some that there is no virtue in others. Cleomenes, nor he neither, and you very much wrong him if you assert that he ever did. Horatio, I refuse to commend what is not praiseworthy, but as bad as mankind are, virtue has an existence as well as vice, though it is more scarce. Cleomenes, what you said last nobody ever contradicted, but I do not know what you would be at. Does not the Lord Shaftesbury endeavor to do good and promote the social virtues, and am I not doing the very same? Suppose me to be in the wrong in the favorable constructions I have made of things. Still it is to be wished for, at least, that men had a greater regard to the public welfare, less fondness for their private interest, and more charity for their neighbors than the generality of them have. Horatio To be wished for, perhaps, it may be, but what probability is there that this will ever come to pass? Cleomenes And unless that can come to pass, it is the idlest thing in the world to discourse upon and demonstrate the excellency of virtue, what signifies it to set forth the beauty of it, unless it was possible that men should fall in love with it. Horatio If virtue was never recommended, men might grow worse than they are. Cleomenes Then, by the same reason, if it was recommended more, men might grow better than they are. But I see perfectly well the reason of these shifts and evasions you make use of against your opinion. You find yourself under a necessity of allowing my panegyrics, as you call them, to be just, or finding the same fault with most of my Lord Shaftesbury's. And you would do neither if you could help it, from men's preferring company to solitude His lordship pretends to prove the love and natural affection we have for our own species. If this was examined into with the same strictness as you have done everything I have said, in behalf of the three faculties, I believe that the solidity of the consequences would be pretty equal in both. But I stick to my text, and stand up for the social virtues. The noble author of that system had a most charitable opinion of his species, and extolled the dignity of it in an extraordinary manner." and why my imitation of him should be called a banter, I see no reason. He certainly wrote with a good design, and endeavored to inspire his readers with refined notions, and a public spirit abstract from religion. The world enjoys the fruits of his labors, but the advantage that is justly expected from his writings can never be so universally felt, before the public spirit, which he recommended, comes down to the meanest tradesman, whom you would endeavor to exclude from the generous sentiments and noble pleasures that are already so visible in many. I am now thinking on two sorts of people that stand in very much need of, and yet hardly ever meet with one another. This misfortune must have caused such a chasm in the band of society that no depth of thought or happiness of contrivance could have filled up the vacuity. If a most tender regard for the commonwealth and the height of benevolence did not influence and oblige others... Mere strangers to those people, and commonly men of small education, to afflict them with their good offices, and stop up the gap. Many ingenious workmen in obscure dwellings would be starved in spite of industry only for want of knowing where to sell the product of their labor, if there were not others to dispose of it for them. And again, the rich and extravagant are daily furnished with an infinite variety of superfluous knick-knacks and elaborate trifles, every one of them invented to gratify either a needless curiosity, or else wantonness and folly, and which they could never have thought of, much less wanted, had they never seen or known where to buy them. What a blessing, then, to the public is the social toy-man!" who lays out a considerable estate to gratify the desires of these two different classes of people. He procures food and raiment for the deserving poor, and searches with great diligence after the most skilful artificers, that no man shall be able to produce better workmanship than himself. With studied civilities and a serene countenance, he entertains the greatest strangers, and, often speaking to them first, kindly offers to guess at their wants, He confines not his attendants to a few stated hours, but waits their leisure all day long in an open shop, where he bears the summer's heat and winter's cold with equal cheerfulness. What a beautiful prospect is here of natural affection to our kind, for if he acts from that principle who only furnishes us with necessaries of life, certainly he shows a more superlative love and indulgence to his species who will not suffer the most whimsical of it to be an hour destitute of what he shall fancy, even things the most unnecessary. Horatio, you have made the most of it indeed, but are you not tired yet with these fooleries yourself? Cleomenes, what fault do you find with these kind constructions? Do they detract from the dignity of our species? Horatio, I admire your invention, and thus much I will own, that... By overacting the part in that extravagant manner, you have set the social system in a more disadvantageous light than ever I had considered it before, but the best things you know may be ridiculed. Cleomenes, whether I know that or not, Lord Shaftesbury has flatly denied it, and takes joke and banter to be the best and surest touchstone to prove the worth of things. It is his opinion that no ridicule can be fastened upon what is really great and good, His lordship has made use of that test to try the scriptures and the Christian religion by, and expose them because it seems they could not stand it. Horatio, he has exposed superstition, and the miserable notions the vulgar were taught to have of God, but no man ever had more sublime ideas of the supreme being and the universe than himself. Cleomenes, you are convinced that what I charge him with is true. Horatio, I do not pretend to defend every syllable that noble lord has wrote. His style is engaging, his language is polite, his reasoning strong. Many of his thoughts are beautifully expressed, and his images, for the greatest part, inimitably fine. I may be pleased with an author without obliging myself to answer every cavil that shall be made against him. As to what you call your imitation of him, I have no taste in burlesque but the laugh you would raise might be turned upon you with less trouble than you seem to have taken. Pray, when you consider the hard and dirty labors that are performed to supply the mob, with the vast quantities of strong beer they swill, do not you discover social virtue in a drayman? Cleomenes, yes, and in a dray horse, too, at least as well as I can in some great men, who yet would be very angry should we refuse to believe, that the most selfish actions of theirs, if the society received but the least benefit from them, were chiefly owing to principles of virtue and a generous regard to the public. Do you believe that, in the choice of a pope, the greatest dependence of the cardinals, and what they principally rely upon, is the influence of the Holy Ghost? Horatio, no more than I do transubstantiation. Cleomenes, but if you had been brought up a Roman Catholic, you would believe both. Horatio, I do not know that. Cleomenes, you would, if you was sincere in your religion, as thousands of them are, that are no more destitute of reason and good sense than you or I. Horatio, I have nothing to say as to that. There are many things incomprehensible, that yet are certainly true. These are properly the objects of faith, and, therefore, when matters are above my capacity and really surpass my understanding, I am silent and submit with great humility, but I will swallow nothing which I plainly apprehend to be contrary to my reason, and is directly clashing with my senses. Cleomenes, if you believe a providence, what demonstration can you have that God does not direct men in an affair of higher importance to all Christendom than any other you can name? Horatio, this is an ensnaring and a very unfair question. Providence superintends and governs everything without exception. To defend my negative and give a reason for my unbelief, it is sufficient if I prove that all the instruments and the means they make use of in those elections are visibly human and mundane, and many of them unwarrantable and wicked. Cleomenes, not all the means, because every day they have prayers and solemnly invoke the divine assistance. Horatio, but what stress they lay upon it may be easily gathered from the rest of their behavior. The court of Rome is, without dispute, the greatest academy of refined politics, and the best school to learn the art of caballing. Their ordinary cunning and known stratagems are counted rusticity, and designs are pursued through all the mazes of human subtlety. Genius there must give way to finesse, as strength does to art in wrestling. And a certain skill some men have in concealing their capacities from others is of far greater use with them than real knowledge or the soundest understanding. In the sacred college, where everything is auro venale, truth and justice bear the lowest price. Cardinal Pallavicini and other Jesuits have been the stanch advocates of the papal authority, have owned with ostentation the politia religiosa della chiesa, and not hid from us the virtues and accomplishments that were only valuable among the purpurati, in whose judgment, overreaching at any rate, is the highest honor, and, to be outwitted, though by the basest artifice, the greatest shame. In conclaves more especially, nothing is carried on without tricks and intrigue, and in them the heart of man is so deep and so dark an abyss that the finest air of dissimulation is sometimes found to have been insincere. And men often deceive one another by counterfeiting hypocrisy. And is it credible that holiness, religion, or the least concern for spirituals should have any share in the plots? machinations, brigues, and contrivances of a society, of which each member, besides the gratification of his own passions, has nothing at heart but the interest of his party, right or wrong, and to distress every faction that opposes it. Cleomenes, these sentiments confirm to me what I have often heard, that renegados are the most cruel enemies. Horatio, was ever I a Roman Catholic? Cleomenes, I mean from the social system, of which you have been the most strenuous assertor, and now no man can judge of actions more severely, and indeed less charitably, than yourself, especially of the poor cardinals. I little thought, if once I quitted the scheme of deformity, to have found an adversary in you, but we have both changed sides, it seems. Horatio, much alike, I believe. Cleomenes, nay, what could anybody think to hear me making the kindest interpretations of things that can be imagined, and yourself doing quite the reverse. Horatio, what ignorant people that knew neither of us might have done, I do not know, but it has been very manifest from our discourse that you have maintained your cause by endeavoring to show the absurdity of the contrary side, and that I have defended mine by letting you see that we are not such fools as you would represent us to be. I had taken a resolution never to engage with you on this topic, but you see I have broke it. I hate to be thought uncivil. It was mere complacence drew me in, though I am not sorry that we talked of it so much as we did, because I found your opinion less dangerous than I imagined. You have owned the existence of virtue, and that there are men who act from it as a principle, both of which I thought you denied. But I would not have you flatter yourself that you deceived me by hanging out false colors. Cleomenes, I did not lay on the disguise so thick as not to have you see through it, nor would I ever have discoursed upon this subject with anybody who could have been so easily imposed upon. I know you to be a man of very good sense and sound judgment, and it is for that very reason I so heartily wish you would suffer me to explain myself and demonstrate to you how small the difference is between us, which you imagine to be so considerable. There is not a man in the world in whose opinion I would less pass for an ill man than in yours. But I am so scrupulously fearful of offending you that I never dared to touch upon some points unless you had given me leave. Yield something to our friendship, and condescend for once to read the Fable of the Bees for my sake. It is a handsome volume. You love books. I have one extremely well bound. Do, let me, suffer me to make you a present of it. Horatio, I am no bigot Cleomenes, But I am a man of honour, and, you know, of strict honour. I cannot endure to hear that ridiculed, and the least attempt of it chafes my blood. Honour is the strongest and noblest tie of society by far, and therefore, believe me, can never be innocently sported with. It is a thing so solid and awful, as well as serious, that it can at no time become the object of mirth or diversion. And it is impossible for any pleasantry to be so ingenious, or any jest so witty, that I could bear with it on that head. Perhaps I am singular in this, and, if you will, in the wrong. Be that as it will, all I can say is, Je n'entends pas raillerie la dessus, And, therefore, no fable of the bees for me, if we are to remain friends. I have heard enough of that. Cleomenes, pray, Horatio, can there be honor without justice? Horatio, no, who affirms there can? Cleomenes, have you not owned that you have thought worse of me than now you find me to deserve? No men nor their works ought to be condemned upon hearsays and bare surmises, much less upon the accusations of their enemies, without being examined into. Horatio, there you are in the right. I heartily beg your pardon, and to atone for the wrong I have done you, say what you please. I will hear it with patience. Be it never so shocking, but I beg of you, be serious." Cleomenes, I have nothing to say to you that is distasteful, much less shocking. All I desire is to convince you that I am neither so ill-natured nor uncharitable, in my opinion of mankind, as you take me to be, and that the notions I entertain of the worth of things will not differ much from yours when both come to be looked into. Do but consider what we have been doing. I have endeavored to set everything in the handsomest light I could think of. You say, to ridicule the social system, I own it, Now reflect on your own conduct, which has been to show the folly of my strained panegyrics, and replace things in that natural view which all just knowing men would certainly behold them in. This is very well done, but it is contrary to the scheme you pretended to maintain, and if you judge of all actions in the same manner, there is an end of the social system, or at least it will be evident that it is a theory never to be put into practice." You argue for the generality of men that they are possessed of these virtues, but when we come to particulars, you can find none. I have tried you everywhere. You are as little satisfied with persons of the highest rank as you are with them of the lowest, and you count it ridiculous to think better of the middling people. Is this otherwise than standing up for the goodness of a design? At the same time, you confess that it never was or ever can be executed. What sort of people are they, and where must we look for them? whom you will own to act from those principles of virtue. Horatio, are there not in all countries men of birth and ample fortune that would not accept of places, though they were offered, that are generous and beneficent, and mind nothing but what is great and noble? Cleomenes, yes, but examine their conduct, look into their lives, and scan their actions with as little indulgence as you did those of the cardinals, or the lawyers and physicians, and then see what figure their virtues will make beyond those of the poor industrious woman. There is, generally speaking, less truth in panegyrics than there is in satires. When all our senses are soothed, when we have no distemper of body or mind to disturb us, and meet with nothing that is disagreeable, we are pleased with our being. It is in this situation that we are most apt to mistake outward appearances for realities, and judge of things more favorably than they deserve. Remember, Horatio, how feelingly you spoke half an hour ago in commendation of operas. Your soul seemed to be lifted up whilst you was thinking on the many charms you find in them. I have nothing to say against the elegancy of the diversion or the politeness of those that frequent them, but I am afraid you lost yourself in the contemplation of the lovely idea when you asserted that they were the most proper means to contract a strong and lasting habit of virtue. Do you think that among the same number of people... There is more real virtue at an opera than there is at a bear garden? Horatio, what a comparison! Cleomenes, I am very serious. Horatio, the noise of dogs and bulls and bears make a fine harmony. Cleomenes, it is impossible you should mistake me, and you know very well that it is not the different pleasures of those two places I would compare together. The things you mentioned are the least to be complained of. The continual sounds of oaths and imprecations, the frequent repetitions of the word lie, and other more filthy expressions. The loudness and dissonance of many strained and untuneful voices are a perfect torment to a delicate ear. The frowsiness of the place and the ill sense of different kinds are a perpetual nuisance. But in all mob meetings, stroke, Horatio, l'odorat souffre beaucoup. Cleomenes, the entertainment in general is abominable and all the senses suffer, I allow all this. The greasy heads, some of them bloody, the jarring looks and threatening wild and horrid aspects that one meets with in those ever-restless assemblies must be very shocking to the sight, and so indeed is everything else that can be seen among a rude and ragged multitude, that are covered with dirt and have in none of their pastimes one action that is inoffensive. But, after all, vice and what is criminal are not to be confounded with roughness and want of manners, no more than politeness and an artful behavior ought to be with virtue or religion. To tell a premeditated falsehood in order to do mischief is a greater sin than to give a man the lie who speaks an untruth. And it is possible that a person may suffer greater damage and more injury to his ruin from slander in the low whisper of a secret enemy than he could have received from all the dreadful swearing and cursing the most noisy antagonist could pelt him with. Incontinence and adultery itself, persons of quality are not more free from all over Christendom than the meaner people. But if there are some vices which the vulgar are more guilty of than the better set, there are others of the reverse. Envy, detraction, and the spirit of revenge are more raging and mischievous in courts than they are in cottages. Excess of vanity and hurtful ambition are unknown among the poor. They are seldom tainted with avarice, with irreligion never. And they have much less opportunity of robbing the public than their betters. There are few persons of distinction whom you are not acquainted with. I desire you, you would seriously reflect on the lives of as many as you can think of, and next opera night, on the virtues of the assembly. Horatio, you make me laugh. There is a good deal in what you say, and I am persuaded all is not gold that glisters. Would you add any more? "'Cleomenes, since you have given me leave to talk, and you are such a patient hearer, "'I would not slip the opportunity of laying before you some things of high concern "'that perhaps you never considered in the light, which you shall own yourself they ought to be seen in. "'Horatio, I am sorry to leave you, but I have really business that must be done tonight. "'It is about my lawsuit, and I have stayed beyond my time already.' But if you will come and eat a bit of mutton with me tomorrow, I will see nobody but yourself, and we will converse as long as you please. Cleomenes, with all my heart, I will not fail to wait on you. End of section 34